0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, your favorite World War II-based podcast. And sadly, due to the fact that Jeff Copsetta has no internet or phone in his entire area for two days, we had to reschedule this week's guest. And so I know it's a day late and $3 short, but we're going to go ahead and deploy a redeployment episode. We are going to go all the way back to episode 20. That's correct. Episode 20 of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. This is the first international interview we had set up at that time. Um, you might hear some road noise in the background because this is recorded on our original cheapo microphones at my office. So long story short, please enjoy episode 20 of the What's the About podcast as we are joined by Marcel Bonin of Imageworks World War II. You guys are probably familiar with his works if you're on Facebook or Instagram. He hangs out with and deploys out with some of the most top-flight, top-notch, on-it World War II reenactors over in Europe and throughout Europe. And he takes photos and then works his digital magic to make them look like more authentic war scenes so please enjoy this episode of episode 20 and we will be back next week with myself and jeff kopsetta thank you guys for continued support and email us at mail call at wtspworldwar2.com and without any further ado here is episode 20. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, your new favorite World War II themed podcast. Before we get the show started, I just want to say happy Armed Forces Day to everybody. For those of you who have served in the past, who are currently serving now, yes, I am aware that it was on Saturday, but we don't put our show out until Sunday. So I just wanted to get that out there to you. Also, just a quick reminder, you can download our show via our website, the 96 k Rock app the Stitcher app, and as well as iTunes. And if you're downloading us on iTunes, please give us a review and a five-star rating. But uh, thank you so much, and on with the show. On this week's show, we kind of had to change things up a bit. Our next guest um, is located in the Netherlands. He's six hours ahead of us in the time zone. And as we've explained in early episodes of our podcast, since I work out of my house and I have a podcast studio in my house, I have to record my podcast later at night once my birds go to bed or you'll hear them chirping in the background. But due to the time zone difference, I basically had to go semi-mobile this week and I had to move the, um, the show to another location away from my animals to get the job done so that this gentleman didn't have to talk to me at 3 in the morning his time. He was still nice enough to talk to me at 8 p.m. his time, which was 1 p.m. our time. However, it's Florida, it's the summer, we have lots of rain and so what I had to do is I had to pick up my equipment go to my office where I do my computer work and I was going to interview him there. However, when I walked into the lobby of my office, I could hear my neighbor having a discussion with one of her patients because she does psychiatry and I knew that my microphones would probably pick up their conversation in the background. So, I had to make a quick compromise, I was under a time restriction, I was already running late due to the rain and the storm, and so I set up my equipment in the conference room, which is right next to a huge bay window right next to the main thoroughfare. And so sadly you will hear some background noise during this interview. Um, I think after the first few minutes I decided that after I got done asking my question I would turn my microphone down. So that you would not hear all the road noise behind me as the uh, our guest spoke and answered the questions. And then when there's a pause in the conversation, I'll bring my microphone back up, ask the next question. You will hear some road noise. I've tried filtering most of it out, but there's only so much you can do. So on and so forth. But please don't allow the, the interference of the road noise to take anything away from this interview. I feel it's a great interview. And uh, hope you enjoy it. Joining us on the... well joining us on Facebook Instant Messenger, our first international guest, a gentleman I became aware of probably about a year ago. These beautiful uh, reenactment and living history photos kept showing up on my timeline, being shared by other people, by this little company called Imageworks. And what they would do is they're going to living history events, and um, what I would guess call maybe... Um, memorial parades or things of that nature because they're over in Europe and they're out where the battles actually happened. So I would see these beautiful photos of these long convoys of jeeps and uh, two ton trucks and all these beautiful photos. I'd see all these awesome action photos. And so I started following them on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, the man behind the mission, the guy behind the beautiful phone, Marcel Bonin, <laughs> joins us from uh, across the pond today, our first international call. How are you doing today Marcel?
1: Oh hi Don, I'm doing quite fine, it's a lovely Saturday evening here in the Netherlands. Um, so yes thank you for this interview first of all and I'm honored to be the first international guest in your show.
0: Why thank you so much. So let's, uh, let's get right to it, as you said you're in the Netherlands, um, mm-hmm. what, well obviously because you're in the Netherlands and the parts of the world you're at the war Affected your nation and your community more than it did here on our home front because we never actually had any uh, Violence here with the exception of uh, Pearl Harbor and maybe a few Japanese balloon bombs that landed in Oregon But what really got you into uh, World War two?
1: Well actually is well as you said um, our region here was in the midst of uh, all the action, so to speak. Um, the front line was here in autumn 1944, and uh, I live in the southern part of the Netherlands, and, which is roughly, I would say, in the uh, Aachen, Maastricht and Bastogne triangle. Um, so needless to say that we, this area saw a lot of action uh, end of 1944. Um, the other thing is that I was raised in a in a, in, a, in a family with military background and um, my grandfather was in the Dutch resistance during the war and he assisted the American troops that liberated our town in 44 and uh, in my time my uncle was a tank commander and um, well that's how I got involved with military and when I was a child of four years old I was already in the turret with my uncle of a Leopard uh, 2 tank so basically uh it 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 all came very natural so um it got me involved yes
0: well i want to i want to go back a little bit because you mentioned something very interesting about your grandfather was part of the dutch resistance that in itself is a very two things that is extremely brave and extremely selfless because when you're um well when you're a resistance fighter you don't have the backing or the um logistical support of a military you don't have access to all the gear all the weaponry all the high technology at the time you're basically fighting with what you have access to and to have such great love for your community and your country and to do such a selfless act as essentially go up against invading military with nothing more than what you're able to scrounge through your town that says a tremendous lot about your grandfather and uh, the people of his community
1: well, yeah, it's, it, it, it must be said that resistance comes in uh, many forms. And um, as I can recall, because my grandmother used to tell me stories about that, um, uh, they, most of the resistance they did was um, trying to get food coupons, um, trying to sabotage things, uh, smuggle uh, food and uh, clothes and that kind of stuff. And later on, um, when the American troops were near later, uh, as the war developed, and we are talking about October 1944, my grandfather um, assisted American troops to find um, the place, the German town of Aachen, which was the, as I can recall it, uh, the first uh, German city to be uh, liberated by the Allies. Um, I can remember also the the stories of my grandmother that... um, uh, when, when it was Christmas 1944, uh, my grandfather uh, tried to uh, get as much G.I.s inside their home to celebrate Christmas, um, so basically uh, it went from uh, resistance to, to support and uh, later on collaboration with the, with the Allies.
0: But once again, all those things, especially the um, smuggling of contraband, if you will, the food rations, the yeah. uh, sabotage... As far as the Germans go, the the penalty for those actions are no different than the penalty of you know face to face combat. If you got caught doing this, oh, things, yeah, definitely. Um, I yeah, mean, yeah. It, it definitely was still a very brave and selfless act. I
1: oh, gotta yeah, think. Well, you know, it's 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 quite remarkable. There was a time that this our area was a kind of a no man's land, uh, which was basically mid September 1944 where um, the advancing allies, well in in our case it it was the 30th Infantry Division, Old Hickory, um, and they were uh, advancing, uh, but there were still German forces in our town, so there was kind of a no-man's land, and um, it was uh, mid-September, I believe, that our town was completely evacuated, but it was the the people, or the men from the resistance that uh, stayed behind. To make sure that everything was okay and that there was no plundering and that kind of stuff. Later on, uh, as the Allies advanced, um, it it were they also did some tactical maneuvers. So yeah, it was not without risk at all.
0: And so, fast forward to growing up, you're hearing about all this stuff, and then clearly at some mm-hmm. point, you um, you discover your passion for photography. When did that come about? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, actually, I'm. <laughs> I'm a visual designer, a visual artist. I have a bachelor's degree in illustrative design. And um, I have been working in this uh, field of work since I graduated, Uh, but in commercial work, let's well, uh, for um, uh, creative agencies and advertising agencies. Like print media and
0: stuff, and uh, websites, print media.
1: Yeah, and so so photography is just part of the job, my daily job. but then as uh, product photography and that kind of things, Both, uh, so on the other hand you have the passion for World War II and the history of it and on the other side you have the creative part, um, visualizing things. So both got together and uh, I used my skills as a photographer and visual artist to, um, to give my impressions of the things I saw in, during the events you mentioned.
0: Now, have you yourself ever uh, gotten to participating in living history events and reenacting, or were you more of a spectator?
1: Well, <laughs> I try to I try to uh, to stay a photographer, but um, I do a lot of projects with uh, uh, one of the best reenactment groups in the world, well, I think they are, um, and it, it's the, uh, the second Armour in Europe, and um, they, they do m- big trips. Uh, like last year we did they did a 10-day trip uh, 24/ 7 uh, in Normandy and well yeah they demand more or less to to blend in as good as I can so they kind of friendly forced me to become a reenactor in order to 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 blend in and, and to make uh, what well, to make feel that uh, everyone comfortable um, as a photographer Sure.
0: And we uh, we, we, we but, have a guy down here named Don Dickey. Now, he's actually a reenactor, but he also has a few, And he kind of does the same thing. When we're at living history events or we're out doing tactical events, um, yeah, he'll mm-hmm. sling a carbine over his shoulder, but in his map bag, he has his digital SLR camera, and he spends more time mm-hmm. shooting our photos. But once again, he's yep. in full gear to blend in, too, so that especially when you're doing a tactical event and there's no crowds of people and hot dog stands and, you know, food vendors, when you're actually trying to get into the mindset, it definitely helps when everybody within the area is in error correct, either uniform for military or civilian to, to keep the, uh, to keep the vibe going.
1: I totally agree. Um, but there are certain, you know, for instance, if you have the commemoration walks and that kind of things, um, I try to, um, well i try to be the photographer and not the reenactor because you know um the guys that i joined that do second world War reenactment they do that at the most authentic and highest level so there's nothing wrong with them uh, with in regard to their gear their clothes their shoes their underwear whatever so um if i would have to match that level it would cost me a fortune just to do that sure. and um and I join many groups. I join German troops as well, uh, uh, British, um, uh, several and, and different uh, U.S. Uh, units. So that would mean if I would have to blend in perfectly, I would have to buy all the gear. So I try to avoid that, and um, <laughs> I try to do my best to do it in a in a in a in a friendly way. Say that I'm a you know I'm a photographer. I'm not a reenactor, but I try to blend in just as well. I do my best.
0: <laughs> now, with your geographical location, you do have the ability to go out to um, locations where tremendous battles and um, historical events have happened. Has there been a particular um, event you've joined along as a photographer that really, just being in that environment or that a particular location, that had a bigger impact on you emotionally than anywhere else?
1: Well, there are there are a few. To- be honest. Um, as I said, I'm in the Triangle master of Aachen-Bastogne, and so basically that means that Bastogne and the Battle of the Bulge, uh, former battlegrounds, is about one and a half, two hours away. Um, so when I go there, certainly in the wintertime, when there's a little snow or there's fog or anything, um, it, yeah, it gets to you. Uh, but that being said, I was uh, with the second armoured in Europe. I was in Normandy, uh, and that has the same effect as well, you know, there's, if you go through the little villages, and if you're on the beaches and stuff, there's, there's, well, all is so authentic, and uh, it's it's kind, it looks like, a, like time stood still, and um, that enhances the effect, of course, if you're being there with the right guys, the right gear, um, 24-7, um, yeah, that gets to you, that's certainly, uh, but... To get back to your question, it's it's Battle of the Bolts that uh, affect, I think, and uh, Normandy, but then the events without any public and, you know, just the private things, the private settings, yeah.
0: Yeah, you you guys basically have the backdrop, especially for someone who's doing what you're doing with photos, that uh, you have the perfect backdrop. You don't have to go home and, with the exception of maybe... Adding some effects of explosions or debris and things of that nature, you don't have to burden yourself with trying to get the right camera shot to make sure there's not a palm tree like we do here in Florida. You know, you have all the (laughs) correct, you have all the correct geographical stuff, and so that really enhances your photos. But let's um, we're on the topic of photos. Let's get more into your company or your passion and what you Mm -hmm. guys do, and uh, let's provide some Mm -hmm. detail, and uh, we'll share some of your beautiful photos along with the posting of this this um. Podcast along with links right. to your Facebook, but let's talk about ImageWorks.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, ImageWorks is kind of my 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 creative brainchild, so to speak. Um, it I started out as a or I was uh, educated as a illustrative designer in a time that uh, Apple computers came up, Photoshop came up, so all my skills, my traditional skills like for airbrush and that kind of uh, techniques um, were quite well not useless but very expensive so I switched to graphic design and uh, I made my money and I have been doing that uh, for the last uh, 30 years or so Um, but for some reason uh, the 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 dream uh, still existed to to be creative and to do really the things I like so that is how I got to um, to start my own Small company ImageWorks, which is all about you know doing the things I like to do and do my own thing and uh, try to do that at the best level I can um, with the people that uh, also work at a certain level to ensure uh, a high quality images and high quality uh, visual reports. And um, as you said, I'm lucky enough to live in the area where there's well. <laughs> There are scenes and backdrops all over the place, and I can, just 50 minutes from here, there's a, um, I, well, they are parts of the German defense uh, line, the Westwall, or the Siegfried line, as it was called. Um, so basically, I have all the backdrops you can wish for, and uh, I only have to add a couple of men and some gear, and I'm ready to go. Um, so, and I I have a huge network of reenactors and organizations, and... Um, so I'm lucky enough to be invited to uh, all the great events that are in the area or in Normandy.
0: Now real and, quick, uh, uh, so I'm, not to interrupt, but I just want to pause right there because I want to, to um, talk about something that you mentioned. And um, with here in the United States, we're having big issues with people wanting to erase our history. Now you're talking about mm-hmm. not too far from you, you have remnants of the uh, Siegfried Line. Um, yeah. How... Are the historical societies around there? Are they really um, good about trying to preserve those areas and prevent um, graffiti and destruction of those areas?
1: Well, it it's kind of a weird thing. We, we uh, it's um, many of the constructions and certainly the bunkers are destroyed, but they were destroyed in the war or shortly after the war, and um, I think it was a time that. The Germans felt ashamed of what had what had happened, and so I think they ar- tried to ar- try to erase history uh, at that time. Um, that being said, uh, in modern days now uh, they realize that it's just part of the history, and we can't blame them for the faults of their grandparents or grandfathers. Um, so there's a kind of a realization that it's all part of history, and um, if if there's a there's a saying I'm I don't know the correct words, but it's something like if you deny your history, you deny who you are, or something like that. And I think that counts. I mean, um,
0: well, we have a similar saying I, here. It's if you don't uh, learn from history, you're bound to repeat it. And and oh, yeah. and once again, you made another great point. Um, you kind of saying over you know, there, don't hold us responsible for what our grandparents did. Um, mm-hmm. That would be something I would love the citizens of the United States to learn, because you may have seen from you know Facebook and things of that nature. Over here, over here, right now, um, mm-hmm. there are people who are actively taking down statues of Civil War uh, generals and uh, prominent uh, songwriters from the 1700s and 1800s. Yeah. And yes, they're taking them down, thinking that a lot of these things are a celebration of the Civil War. When in fact, mem- uh, memorials are not a some of them are, but not all of them are celebrations. Not prop you know propping somebody up. They're more to be informative, and to remind people what happened. So that mm-hmm. as you said, if you don't learn from your history, you're not going to know who you are. Or as we say, you're not you're bound to repeat it. And so it's crazy that over here. Um, more and more statues whether they were actively involved in the civil war or if they were just famous songwriters who wrote songs that you know were of the time that may be semi um not politically correct in our time they're just over here it's just a frenzy people are going crazy right now and it's it's very scary as a historian to see people trying to actively erase our history whether it's positive or negative (laughs)
1: yeah I saw that uh I think there were some articles uh on facebook as well um I think that well we have the same issue or I, I would I wouldn't like to call it problem but um apart from the fact that history is always written by winners um so you basically never know the the whole truth of any uh aspect of history because it's all you know. Passed on and it's rewritten and it's as with any story or uh, historical uh, report. It, I think every story has two sides. But apart from that, um, I think we should learn from history, and that is one of the reasons that all these men and women are reenacting. And um, at least for some of them, it is. It's it's like teaching and educating new generations. Um, what it was all about, and um, I think it's not fair to erase all the uh, um, leftovers, I would say, of a certain part of history, um, because we are what we are, and we are, uh, well, we developed in a way that it was very much influenced by our history, if we like it or not. and. Um, for example the southern part of the Netherlands where I live was invaded by the Austrians by the Spaniards by the French whoever you know and so it 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 shaped who we became and um, so it's just um, unless it's you know I can imagine that statues of Adolf Hitler were taken down um, in Germany uh, and so I think there's a there's a there's a line that you have to make and and, and Uh, You have to make some decisions, but uh, that being said, um, at that time, uh, the world looked completely different, and uh, I think that we will make the same mistakes, and we will erase uh, statues or whatever, or give the Nobel Prize to people uh, that in 20, 50, 100 years look ridiculous, so... yeah everyone makes mistakes, but we should keep going on, learn from history, and try to make the best of it.
0: How is the, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but how is the acceptance or the viewpoint of reenacting to the uh, general public over there? Here, um, here it's getting a little more acceptable just because of, due to, um, people's acceptance of comic book movies and, uh, big cosplay events and, uh, big Mm -hmm. um, comic book Uh, conferences where people are dressed up as Superman and all that, Um, the reenacting community is kind of getting more acceptable, but for the longest time, our general public kind of looked at us as a bunch of weirdos out playing Army on the weekend. I would imagine it's probably (laughs) a little more acceptable over there just because of the impact that these men, who you guys are portraying um, on both sides, had on on your area.
1: Well, it just depends, I I think. Um, I've been to some areas and events where the public laughed, which isn't a good thing, <laughs> so that's that's kind of a that is not what you want. Um, but I've also witnessed events where they did a real kind of a new liberation thing, where the public uh, cheered and applauded as is as if it was a real liberation. So and there's some and 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 there's everything in between. Um, I think it just depends on the setting, uh, the geographical location, and maybe the timing. Um, as you can imagine, um, if there's an event in the first week of June in Normandy, it has a totally different impact than some jeep meeting somewhere in the heart of summer at the Dutch Beach. Um, so, it's, it's all just, it all depends on the setting, and for me personally, it also depends on the historical ac- uh, accuracy. Um, of the reenactors, um, because I only join or try to join uh, events and projects where authenticity is at the highest level, because I still believe and I and I well, I also believe that it's the future of uh, a reenactment is only at the highest historical level possible. I couldn't there's, I couldn't agree with you more.
0: Between. Yeah, I couldn't yeah, agree with I you mean, more. There's there's a lot of problems with people who. um they want to quote unquote dip their toe into it see Ooh, that may be fun to do once or twice and they show up with a half ass uniform that makes everybody look bad so I completely agree yeah. when it comes to the full authenticity and the uh, research to be put into your uniforms
1: oh yeah I mean if, if you if you want to uh, tell a story uh, and if you want to educate people um, you can only do that in one way and that's the authentic uh, uh, realistic way as it was and make no compromises and apart from that I think uh, all the reenactors owe it to the, the men and women that fought for, uh, for our freedom um, it's not a, as you said it, it's not an army game it's not, it's not about playing or you know, uh, pretend to be soldier you, in my opinion they're all honoring Uh, the veterans and all those who died for for us and um, and even for the Germans I think I mean many of those guys were forced to fight and uh, so we 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 should do that with a certain amount of honor uh, or not at all I think
0: and and that's a great point a lot of people who are listening to this podcast who may not be as deeply embedded in historical things as the rest of us um, Mm -hmm. we need to not, you know, make the realization or the knowledge known that I would say 60, 70, maybe even 80 percent of the soldiers fighting for the Weimar Republic, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't probably have full faith and belief into the ideolo- ideologies and the Nazi party. They were there because they were forced to fight. Uh, they were there because oh, yeah. they are fighting for their homeland, um, much like yeah. here during a Civil War you had generals who fought for the Confederacy not because they believed in the ideas of the Confederacy, but because their states were involved. Um, they would yeah. have much rather fought for the North or vice versa, but because the side in which their state took is the side that they fought for. They fought to protect their state and their families, not so much a belief by the people who were running the armies.
1: Not That's true, and I heard tons of stories where... Um, uh, and. I'm talking about Wehrmacht soldiers. Then uh, those guys were forced to to fight, if they liked it or not. And um, and don't forget that um, they were prepared at at a young age at school. So I mean, uh, the, the the Nazi Party was uh, uh, funded in the 30s. Um, so basically, they had 10, 15 years. I don't know. Um, to prepare everything so um, it's easy to say now in these days which with what we know that it was all wrong which it was of course but um, it, I can imagine that being a young guy from 17-18 years it's hard to, to tell right from wrong in that time and um, they've been lied to so they, they, they had to make some decisions and later on they were forced that's well, simple as
0: that. Well, absolutely. Like you said, they the indoctrination started early. Let's just go, we're in 2018. Let's take a, a 17-year-old boy who grew up in North Korea and plop him down in the United States or Great Britain and see the culture yeah. shock that that, child, that kid would have because for the last 18 years, he has been told that there is no God except for the dear leader. Um, they're not all having yeah. photos of anybody in their family on the wall, just the dear leader and his family. And so, you know, it's, kind of the same way. You had people who were literally raised since the age of three that Hitler is the end-all be-all, you're going to dedicate your life, and it's no different than what they're doing to the North Koreans now, just not on such an extreme level, but they they are, at least up until lately, been told that America is going to attack it any day, and they've been training their whole lives to defend themselves. Not much different.
1: And I think even uh, back then it was even harder because there was no internet, there was no television, so Everything they heard was just propaganda, so... Yeah, not only was there or, no television you
0: know, or internet, but your your state, your government, was running the newspaper. So what information you yeah. were got was yeah. being put out by the people who wanted to tell you what was going on. Yeah,
1: true. Yeah. So it's, it's not, not that easy and
0: not that simple, I think. So let's get back to Imageworks. Um, you attach mm-hmm. yourself to multiple different um, reenacting groups, including the uh, Europe, the uh, the 2nd Armored Division. 2nd Armored Europe. in Europe, yeah. Um, yeah what is your end goal with your photos? I mean, I've obviously I've seen them all over Instagram and Facebook. Do you ever get, do you get published? Do they, uh, get set up at, um, events? What's your goal? Is it something you're strictly just doing um, as a passion? Do you have an end goal?
1: Well, um, yes and no. There are certain projects I do for myself. I just, because I love it and, um, I try to, uh, to, to create the most realistic images possible. Um, but there are also commercial projects, and I did, uh, for instance, I did some book presentations where I um, made some multimedia presentations. I was asked to, uh, to colorize and style uh, some 40, 50 styles images, um, and I've been selling some, some portrait shots. Um, but it's all going low profile because, you know, it's first of all, I have little time on my hands doing uh, commercial things, so all the work besides second world war and um, secondly I want to prepare a decent uh, portfolio uh, in regard to second world war before doing any publishing uh, for that matter um, next year will be an important year obviously um, and uh, the idea or the plan is to, to get some things up and running before that time so people can enjoy uh, my images at home. I'm trying to set up a, kind of an artwork uh, shop where I'm going to sell fine art prints of the best of my images. Um, so, but that will that takes time. And uh, as I said, I try to do it decent and professionally, and uh, not to get rushed into that.
0: Well, with the type of photos you're taking and the type of effects you're putting into them, um, you're clearly spending hours per photo. It's not like you're just running through some half-assed phone app that changes the colored <laughs> ad's shadow. I mean, I've seen some beautiful photos you've put out there, and it's and as somebody myself who runs a business, has a second job, and does two podcasts on the weekend, I definitely get yeah. the time restraints and basically forcing yourself, reminding yourself, hey, if I'm going to do this, i got to do it all the way i know i'm tired i know i have very free time but i've committed myself to this and so i got to put my best my best foot forward and you are to be definitely Mm -hmm. commended for that um and hopefully you know once the publishing does come around and um the best of luck to you on that
1: yeah thank you very much well as you said i'm there would be easy ways to produce images uh thousand on a row instantly um, but um, well I, I you know I, I process all the images by hand one by one um, and that just takes time but I think it's it's just something I need to do to ensure high quality and uh, to ensure images that are you know look as as I want them to look
0: now, are you primarily using keyboard and mouse, or are you using tablet and stylus? Um, not to get too behind the scenes, but um, what uh, type of equipment and um, software are you using when you uh, do your, your editing?
1: Well, most of the editing is done in Photoshop and some additional filters I use. Um, but that is mostly for RAW converting um, to make sure that I get the best uh, from the RAWs into a TIFF format. Um, all the processing is done in Photoshop. Um, I've been using Photoshop since 1988, I think it is. That's pretty much day uh. one. Yeah, pretty much day one. Uh, say, and um, I've been using a uh, mouse and uh, a Wacom tablet, so a pen, um, because, you know, I do some retouching and uh, stuff, and it's a lot easier with the Wacom pen. And there's one thing I want to add, because I get a request all the time to do black and white images but there's a certain reason behind it uh, why i most of the time i do color and that is um if you look at the black and white uh, world war ii images they all seem older as they are and it's because of the lack of color obviously Um, if you look at black and white images they all tend to you know, they don't touch you that much, Um, the colors are not there, there's no blood, there's no green from the trees, there's no blue from the sky, there's no orange from the fire, so basically it's kind of a distant thing you see, and I did a test with an image I found on the internet from a victim from Auschwitz, and uh, I did some colorization there, and it's amazing to see how much an image uh, gets to you once it gets color. And that is one of the reasons I stick to coloring the images, or to to create color images, to lift that veil that's over the black and white original images and to show a little glimpse of what Second World War might have looked like if we could have taken some color images back then.
0: Well, and that's a great point, um, so much to the fact that clearly you're not the only one who thinks that way because there is an ever-growing community of amateur and professional for that matter. Um, Photoshop Mm -hmm. cats who are spending their free time taking original photos and meticulously coloring coloring them all the way down to making sure they have the right shade of OD Brown for the web belt versus the shade of, you know, the trouser versus the boot and getting every slightest little detail correct. And it does. Um, even though it's still a two-dimensional image, it almost makes it a, a, a more three-dimensional. It definitely brings out the yeah, passion and the story.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. And it certainly, if you take certain uh, images from from uh, bigger events or attacks uh, like D-Day or the attack on Pearl Harbor, if you see those images in color, they just get more to you. I mean, it it's it touches you more. It it's it, it's more emotional. Um, and, and it's also very weird to see that you realize the sky was blue and the leaves were green and the fire was orange and not black and white. So, and that is one of the reasons, as I said, to um, to do most of my images in color, just to create that bridge, that 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 idea of you know showing how it was, and doing you know in the all in the. Um, in the living history kind of aspect. You know?
0: Well, basically what you're doing is you're t- you're doing a visual component of what we do as reenactors. We realize if you take a group of people, sit them down at a table, handle a bunch of textbooks and say, here, read about the war, within five minutes they're going to lose their attention span. They're, they're done. They're not interested. But Are having you? them come out to the table, pick up the helmet, pick up the rifle, put the heavy haversack on them, that, that yeah. tangible, that thing... That they're like, oh, wow, this really happened. People really wore this. People yeah. were really there. Well, much like you said, when you have a blue sky, an orange flame, red blood, um, dirt on the faces, tears in the eyes, when you do that in color, it helps the person who really doesn't, I don't want to say have an interest, but have any knowledge or even spend a moment in a week or a year even thinking about these things, it helps it bring them bring that home to them. Where, like you said, they're like, "Oh, wow! This really did happen to real people, not some old, you know." Because especially these young kids, they see these photos and they're thinking, "That's, oh, that was a million years ago." No, it's not. Go downtown; these guys are still alive. True, they're you know they're living with their kids. They're they're shopping. I mean, I've been lucky enough to interview three gentlemen who were in the war who are still very mobile, and I'm Mm -hmm. I'm looking for more. And When people think, wow, this was so long ago, it's like, no, they're they're still here. They're still alive. Um, A lot of them will say it was a a whole, you know, a different life or, you know, a long time ago, but no, they're still here. And the color photos would definitely help people realize that.
1: Yeah, I think the only thing that separates us from history is time. I mean, certainly if you go to areas, as we spoke before, in Normandy or in the Bastogne area... um, certain areas still look the same. So the only thing that separates us from the horror, from war, is time. And the the rest hasn't changed that much. Uh, It's still the same sun, it's the the same sky, um, uh, in many cases, the same buildings, etc. So, um, it's like, you know, it's hard to imagine if you go outside on the beach or in the forest, that there is a war going on, we don't know really what war is in these modern days, apart from the areas that are affected uh, in Middle East. Um, but we are, you know, there is no war. We we have, um, you know, since World War II, there certainly in our area here in Western Europe, there wasn't any great war since then. And so no, it's 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 hard to understand that uh, war was in full color as well with all the emotions and all the smells and all the sounds and uh, everything that comes along with it.
0: And it's also crazy to to think that in 2018 we are at war. We've been at war for 17 years and even though we have the internet and even though I have the ability to talk to you from Florida while you're in the Netherlands via my cell phone, um... Mm -hmm. We, we've had the, the ability to separate ourselves from the fact that we have oh, yeah. been fighting right now. And sadly, as yeah. I've stated on past episodes, the only time that that comes up is when some political you know, person is trying to use it to either make someone look bad or to gain a foothold in their political career. But other than that, mm-hmm. um, in pop culture, and at least over here in the States on our news... You rarely hear anything that happens unless something negative happened where a prisoner was mistreated or there's some sort of, um, you know, negative report coming from a battlefield. But other than that, um, with the exception of the great um, companies out there who put out videos of soldiers coming home and their kids seeing them for the first time and things like that, um, we really kind of have isolated ourselves with what's going on to our young men right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's also because we exported war, you know. Um, in the Second World War, certainly in Western Europe, um, war was in our homeland, was on our soil, and it was in our hometowns and in our fields and streets and forests, etc. And, uh, uh, and certainly in the United States as well. I mean, there is no war in the country. Uh, we fight wars all the time, of course, but these are wars in a remote, distant land, Far away, and um, so it doesn't really affect our, our daily lives. And uh, certainly, if you look at the whole Holocaust uh, thing, it, it, we are not affected. Um, uh, we live just our happy lives, and we work, and we do our things. And uh, so it's 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 kind of a, a weird realization uh, that that um, we. You know, there's there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of uh, war going on in certain places, but we, you know, we just don't realize it anymore. It's just a common thing, I would I would say.
0: And that's a good point, because even back then, um, you know, when Hitler started doing his nonsense in 37, 38, or when he invaded mm-hmm. Poland, uh, late 38, early 39?
1: Yeah, 39.
0: You know, from that point up until we started actively bombing Germany, their citizens didn't realize there's a quote-unquote, a war going on. They're, yeah, their boys were gone, but their economy was booming. They were out just living their lives. But it wasn't until the uh, Russians and the uh, Brits and the Allies came marching yeah. in that the German c- citizens were like, oh, yeah, we are at war. This sucks.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it did.
0: And so even back so then they had the ability to separate themselves even when their home country was the one, you know, causing it all.
1: Well, I think that is that is you know uh, part of being human. I think you you just want to go on and, and have a normal, regular life without any trouble and um, a lot of sorrow going on. So I think that, that's, that um that is maybe one of the reasons that we should be very careful not to repeat history um, because it happens before you know it. I think and um, but obviously, time has changed, people has changed, and the mindset has changed, thank God. So, I think it's, it's um, what are the most most important aspects of reenacting, certainly, uh, Second World War reenacting, is to you know, show the people that, um, what it looked like in the field, and in the towns, and in the forest, and um, to tell a story. And uh, I think with reenactment comes telling stories and telling history and uh, trying to educate um, the young people about that.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that was extremely well said. Um, has anybody came to you um, requesting that you guys get into the video side or, or is that something you guys have thought about but want to stay away from? You want to stay in the photo um, department?
1: Well I've, I've... Uh, for the last couple of months, I've been making uh, 360 uh, videos of certain settings uh, I was or some scenes I visit or locations. Um, I did a great um, kind of a I call it virtual walk. and I did a great um, uh, film in Bois um, near Bastogne. It's the forest uh, known from the ba- Band of Brothers series. Um, so what I do is that I record uh, my walking in the forest in 360. And I did the same thing with uh, some Westwald bunkers uh, across the uh, border with Germany. Um, apart from that, um, I do some experimenting with 180 degrees 3D video, um, but that is very, uh, you know, cumbersome because the technology is still developing as we speak. And um, well, and next to that, I try to make some short videos of projects I do, but most of the time they are complementary. To the images I make, um, so but yes, I, I try to add video um, where it's where it's an added added value, and um, it it certainly helps in telling stories and showing uh, um, a kind of a multimedia kind of presentation of certain settings and projects. Yes.
0: Now, when it comes to the 360 video and photo, um, what type mm-hmm. of equipment? I mean, obviously, it takes a a piece of equipment that has more than one um, lens and aperture, correct?
1: Oh yeah, it. Uh, in my case, it's a 360 camera that shoots, uh, as the name says, in 360 with two lenses. Um, so basically, it shoots uh, in the front and in the back, but then with a 180 degrees uh, view angle. Um, and stitches it together to a 360 um, movie, which can be navigated and look. You can look around, up and down, and left and right um, as you please. Um, so
0: it, it basically has two essentially fish I I just always assumed it had a assload of uh, lenses, but it only only has two. That's that's definitely. It an just assume. depends.
1: Um, um, because I'm you know the the situations I'm in. Uh, Time and space are limited and uh, so I can't bring any huge camera with me or a huge tripod. Um, Sometimes I have to jump on tanks or crawl into a half track or uh, squeeze myself into a jeep and we do a jeep run, whatever. So basically all the equipment I bring is very compact and small and lightweight. but there are uh, a number of uh, solutions. There are huge camera rigs that you know they cost a fortune, and uh, they can create uh, uh, almost cinematically um, a cinematic uh, 360 movies. Um, and there are small add-ons for your iPhone. So anything in between exists already, from very small to very uh, huge and costly. Now, if
0: there's a reenacting group who's in your region that you haven't worked with in the past, but they are interested in maybe doing a project with you. Are you open to that? And if so, um, is there a, what's the best oh, channel yeah, for sure. them to reach out to you to, to uh, organize that? Uh,
1: well, yeah, I'm always open to projects. And uh, apart from the fact that I do many projects on my own, like uh, the first weekend of June, we do um, uh, an airborne shoot with an authentic uh, parachute from Second World War. But apart from that, people can reach out to me and connect me. Or uh, if there are museums that want to get some uh, some images or maybe some movies made uh, at the original battlefields, they all can reach out to me on Facebook. Um, I have two pages, but uh, the page that matters in this uh, story is uh, ImageWorks WW2, so World War Two. Um, look for that, and you will find my page. Um, I have my own website which is linked to all the social media channels I run and it's www.imageworks image www. with an X on the end. So not an KS or what anything store an X and then N L from the Netherlands. ImageWorks with an X.
0: Well, Marcel, I want to thank you for your time Um, once again. You're welcome. Looking forward to future projects you put out. Well, thank you for having
1: me uh, in your uh, podcast show and uh, for this interview. It's uh, been an honor to uh, say a little about what we are doing and um, what our motivation is to do this. And uh, certainly I I know there's a lot of people in the United States that appreciate what we do and uh, we keep the history alive. Um, in the most authentic way and um, yeah, as I said before, we try to honor uh, the men who uh, liberated us and who fought for our freedom.